So happy May the 4th, you guys. I mean, you know, May the 4th be with you. It's, it's, it's Star Wars Day. If you use that hashtag, Disney owns your soul, according to their lawyers, and basically they're daring anyone to challenge them in court on that. Uh, so Minnesota United puts out a, uh, a starting soccer 11 for, uh, you know, the Star Wars soccer universe, which I'm into. They did a pretty good job. Uh, I think it's really interesting, though, that they didn't include Alexi Gomez who shoots with about the same accuracy as the average stormtrooper. Live from Catfield Bunker. Twin Cities, we are the Daves. You know this is the Daves I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. podcast quarantine edition um i hope you guys had a good weekend i had a i had a pretty good weekend had a bunch of zoom calls um what did everybody get up to this weekend we built a fence ah. you know yeah so we're, you know, like the uh the verdant spring instinct has stuck the uh struck the uh, foul weight household and uh, got the garden already built a new rabbit and ostensibly squirrel proof fence so uh We'll have love good herbs. Um, my uh, my contribution to this was to look at a bunch of uh, drink recipes and conclude that I needed mint and a little bit of basil and a little bit of rosemary for for good summer drinking. So Dan, awesome. you were you were able to do something the president hasn't been able to do. Correct. Yes, yes. I have I have kept anything out of anything. You've kept all your promises. <laughs> You've built a fence. That's yeah, a hundred percent. Please ask no follow-up questions about the success of said fence, but it has been built. All right. Good. Good. I had a good weekend. I, I also was in way too many uh, Zoom things, but I had a Zoom birthday party for my brother, and uh, many foreign dignitaries were involved, and uh, and we had red carpets, and we had uh, streamers and balloons, and, and it, was, it was great. It's really a lot of fun, and uh, I'm exhausted from a video party, so... How's that? That's about right. We were in a lot. I know that. I I was on, on you know you know, yeah. I was, there was a lot of Zoom calls this weekend. My, so. my my favorite one was I got about about a half hour. It was a two hour party window, and I got a I got a text from Don Garber a half hour into the into the party <laughs> saying he's sorry that he missed it that he got the text a little too late. <laughs> <laughs> He only deals in Garber Bucks, and you just didn't send him enough Minnesota spam. So. I thought that was beautiful. But I got a text from Don Garber, so. <laughs> Cross it off the bucket list, Bill. There you go. How many, uh, how many digital subscription options have you signed him up for in the 24 hours <laughs> since that text arrived? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a game. Game took, ho- took hold like the roots of a tree think soccer ain't a sport then why'd nike sign me 
because I got on my job and made the game ferocious. I was born with a drive. I got from no coaches. Big Hawk and Deuce spitting truth in the booth. Stop, drop, and roll. I bring down the roof. Got nothing to lose and everything to prove. Don't change the mood because we've done paid our dues. Best to give way for the USA. Now we're hot. You might think we're a sun ray. In over your heads, south side we fed. This is life and I'm grinding until I'm dead. That was uh, a little bit of the don't tread on, on this from Clint Dempsey's rap album. You said it is almost as white as he did. I know, right? <laughs> it's not going to be part of our uh, our uh, two thousand or our football idol sound songs that we're going to be talking about later. So, yet just a preview. He, he has not agreed to be part of our football idol soundtrack. If Clint Dempsey wants to come on and defend himself, we're happy to have him anytime. Obviously, so. Ah, uh, all right. So if you like, if you like that kind of random bullshit. Um, please join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash names. I know, uh, we are working on some cool stuff, uh, as in addition to the beer, trying to do some other things. I hope once we get some, this, uh, uh, no contact, uh, not no contact, uh, social distancing order, we're able to do a little bit more video content. I'm trying to get some, I have some video content ideas I want to get out there. Uh, if you're so interested in joining patreon.com back or slash the days I know help support the days that you know all right we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week so we're going to power through the europe edition of what the hell happened uh covid edition um and uh we'll start quickly with the premier league they met last friday may 1st uh all the teams um nothing's really coming out which is kind of the the crazy thing is that we're not really getting too many leaks from uh the premier league and what they're calling project restart which is a stupid, dumb fucking name. Um, best we can tell is that they are gearing towards May 18th, so two weeks from now, a uh, fortnight from now, being back to training uh, with the goal of starting matches June 15th, uh, playing those matches behind closed doors at 8 to 10 neutral sites uh, throughout the country. Um, basically, they want to play all 92 matches if they can, um, no team would play at home, so they're going to play at uh, your at um, uh, EPL team sites. But so, for example, like Liverpool will not play at, at Liverpool at Anfield or uh, at uh, Goodison Park. Um, same thing with Man City; they would not play at the Etihad or or uh, Old Trafford. Um, so that's an interesting conversation. It sounds like they will train teams would train uh, at their own facilities, and then either bus or fly or do something to get to uh, the neutral site where they'll play the match. Um, I think the idea here is that they're trying, they don't want fans to congregate. So it's an interesting uh, concept. Do you guys have any thoughts on that really quickly? We've talked about this a little bit before, but the idea that fans won't congregate when a game is played is a fallacy to me. They're going to congregate somewhere. It's not the stadium, but it might be a pub. It might be outside the stadium. It'll be, so I, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but acting like, oh, if we ban all home games, we will ban fans congregating is just flat out wrong. Because no one, no one in Liverpool is going to go to the pubs like when they can clinch the Premier League title, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. They're all going to sit in ones and twos 
and they're definitely not going to go hang out with their friends. Absolutely not. The one thing that we definitely know on this soccer podcast is that soccer doesn't engender any type of community. It is entirely about the games. Yep. They're going to have their two meter pole and make sure people are away from them. You know, nobody gets within that reach and uh, everything will be good. Yep. Also, they have horrible public transit and no roadways there. So there's no way for the fans to travel to the games that aren't at their homes. And, you know, everything's so far away, you know, like it's this big, vast expanse of a country, you know, no one's going to want to travel to these games and like try to see the players in person and maybe a more accessible, less secure venue. Also true. Yeah. They should just have all the games over at the former Euro Disney uh, land and, don't let any British people over there. It all be all would be good. In France. Right? In France. Yeah. yeah. Where they where they've canceled all games. Yeah, yeah. France, the host English Premier League. The Stop other the riots in the streets. Uh, the other sort of non-quarantine news uh, is uh, we did, which we haven't talked about at all um, is uh, Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle United um, or a, a Saudi Arabian firm that uh, Mohammed bin Salman um, basically is the de facto head of uh, buying Newcastle United. So um, the Mike Ashley reign of terror is over and now the Mohammed bin Salman reign of terror begins in Newcastle. So uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this. I have lots of thoughts. I, I will, I will defer to you all to, to talk about it if you want. I mean, this is not a done deal. No. So uh, this is this is ongoing, and there is a pretty sizable protest uh, run, I believe, if not led by uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi's uh, widow, about not letting uh, MBS buy into the Premier League, and it's actually gaining quite a bit of traction. So I think this is a this is a little bit of a a saga, and if the world were not embroiled in its own crisis, I think this would be a major story. But, uh, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Newcastle for going from a storied franchise, the, the absolute toast of the Premier League, to a mid-table side with a reprehensible owner to a literal human rights violation. I mean, that, that is an impressive – lots of teams have been in decline. As an Arsenal fan, I know what decline looks like, and y'all are really setting the standard for what uh, – we were great, and now we have no fans ought to look. I want to meet whoever applies for the job as their Turkish scout. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> really, though? <laughs> uh, so we'll probably talk more about that when, as we get as it closer to being approved. But, um, yeah, that's a kind of fucked up thing that we have not really talked about. So um, yeah. quickly, uh, Bill, you have uh, updates on the Bundesliga for us? Yeah, and I want to go through it real quick. So last week, things were moving ahead, and the government, you know, was going to make a decision. And then uh, I think it was Friday we heard that in in Cologne they had uh, three players test positive uh, for COVID. And then over the weekend, uh, the brilliant player Solomon Kalu uh, shot a FaceTime live video where he uh, walked through the training facility shaking hands and doing fist bumps and, and bad-mouthing the uh, COVID tests and then actually interrupting a COVID testing going on in place and uh, holding up his paycheck and talking about 
where the 11% of his check was going to go uh, that was taken away and just making a mockery of the whole system. And then today, another seven uh, players tested positive uh, for COVID. And, uh, and now later this week, uh, the uh, government's going to come out with their, uh, with their final recommendation. And I have a feeling these things over the last, you know, since Friday to today is going to have a huge influence on them. And I, I really, you know, wouldn't doubt if it's, if it's a, you know, if, if it wouldn't be no, other than it's billions of dollars at stake. Yeah. And, we, and we know money talks. Um, do we know if all 10 were, I mean, I know for, 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 for sure one of the Cologne, uh, Test was a backroom staffer. It was not a player. Two is two players. Oh, okay. Backroom staffer, but I mean, those people are all interacting with the team. Yeah. So, whether it's a player or a backroom staff person, maybe it's a front office person. Maybe it's not as. They have not said who anyone was that 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 the other seven. What teams? You know who they were. It's also and they did like like Germany is like way ahead of everybody in terms of like yeah. having the shit under control and. If, they're getting a bunch of positive tests, like as in like a sort of a certain, maybe yeah. a wave of something. I don't know. So yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bode well for everybody else. So. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, Needless so. to say, uh, uh, Kalu is now uh, suspended and we'll see if he uh, has a job back at Hertha next year. Or anywhere in Germany for that matter. Yeah. Right. So um all right so la liga um they are theoretically we start training this week games next month uh we'll jump back to you i'm sick mj um league mx uh also they they want to start doing stuff but they're also kind of waiting uh waiting on the government um as is most players um big things we can talk about uh here um locally and then uh we'll jump to the K-League, because we need to talk about uh, which teams we're going to follow um, in uh, Korea. Uh, MLS has announced that starting May 6th, so um, Wednesday, uh, players can start practicing on at outdoor pitches. Um, they have no access to the indoor facilities, so they're going to be doing the full kit wanker. They're going to need to get dressed at home, drive to the facility, <laughs> play outside, uh, apparently need to run around on a pitch, um, maybe kick a ball, but like not interact with anybody, and then get in their car and drive home. Um, so full kit wankers, uh, on the road, um, you know, with the idea that hopefully in a few weeks, they could, or a couple weeks, they could move towards, um, practicing in smaller groups. Um, and then, you know, kicking off some time in June. Um, and then the other big news, uh, is, uh, in USSF news, the, uh, women's, uh, lawsuit against USSF, um, the judge ruled against the U.S. women in most of their complaints um, regarding equal pay and uh, civil rights. Um, the team's going to appeal, uh, obviously, uh, to the Ninth, Cir- Ninth Circuit Court. The judge who uh, made the ruling, I read it, I read most of it, actually, and it was pretty fucked up, um, mostly because some of the logic that he used would have been thrown out the window if the U.S. men had qualified for the 2018 World Cup, which they did not. So I don't necessarily quite understand how he was able to, I mean, I understand why he was able to make that leap of logic, um, but it's also kind of fucked up. So uh, I feel like 
the USSF is probably in a better position now in terms of like negotiating a settlement than they were earlier last week. Um, but I also feel like that there's probably going to be a settlement that will be somewhere between the nine million that they off that they offered the women, and then I think that the sixty-seven million that the women are seeking in damages right now. So probably be closer to the sixty-seven million. But all that said, so. And you're muted. I am. This is the quintessential situation where everyone is where everyone loses. I mean, the the U.S. Soccer Federation just absolutely shit themselves at every possible turn for the last like three months. So yes, they won an extremely important summary judgment. And at the end of the day, having won this judgment probably saves them money. But if you look at the last 12 months, this is a massive loss for the, for the women. Don't get me wrong, but it probably puts them on about equal footing for the amount of self-inflicted damage that the U S soccer federation had done over the same time period. So what this does is it definitely makes it more likely that we'll see a settlement as opposed to a judgment. I don't think the women will get what they're owed. I think the long-term good that will come out of this is probably still about even. Um, but this is, we are getting closer and closer to a situation where both sides settle, not because they fear winning or losing but because they're sick of this going on and neither side is getting what they really wanted out of this yep all right and finally uh mj hip us on korean soccer the first match is supposed to be played this week in the k-league may 8th for those of you dying to watch soccer in a country that actually did patient tracing and widespread coronavirus testing correctly. This is your chance to watch that soccer. Um, what's great about it, or not that great about it, is because Korean's small as a country, area-wise, and I mean, its population is, is big for its area, but because they're not that big, the league isn't that big. There's only 12 teams. So when you only have 12 teams, a full table or a full schedule is, is 22 games. So mm -hmm. it's very reasonable that they can squeeze in 22 games. Uh, each team can play 22 games uh, before it starts snowing in some parts of Korea. Yeah. So I'm a uh, Pohang Steelers fan. And uh, because I was born in Seoul, I am a FC Seoul. Yeah. Fan. I mean, if you want to jump on the most recent team, the Jeonbuk Hyundai Motors. They just won the league last year in 2019. So, you're also if you fan. if you drive a Hyundai, uh, just know that like they sponsor like three teams in the league. So pick carefully. Yeah, There's which I do as well. So, yeah. <laughs> do you guys have a uh, uh, Korean K K1 league fan, uh, teams you want to support, Phil or Dan? You know, one of the great teams. Uh, which unfortunately has now uh, gone defunct was Hallelujah FC, and if they were <laughs> if they still existed, I would be in 100%. But uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna play this season as a pure free agent. I'm gonna watch as many games of as many teams as I can, see see who appeals to me, and uh, and then I will be become a diehard K League fan in uh, 2021. Yeah, right. and you're probably more excited about the Korean baseball that's that's starting. I am thrilled about the KBO. 
bat flip central y'all i think i'm gonna go uh how do you pronounce it mj yonbuk uh i think it's yonbuk yonbuk hyundai motors fc there you go they're gonna be my hyundai team yeah that i'll cheer for in my hyundai yeah they've been very good of late hyundai that team i uh i threw a dart at the wall there yeah yeah, they've won. They've won five in, of the last six titles in the, uh, in the oh, league. So I, I literally looked at a list of names and in alphabetical <laughs> order and threw a mind dart. <laughs> Congratulations on landing on the New York Yankees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe if I had a, a, a Samsung phone or a Samsung television, I would be maybe leaning towards the Suwon Blue Wings. But no, I gotta go with Seoul. Gotta go with the. Gotta go with the birthplace. All right. That's fair. Makes sense. Uh, so other United news, um, just one little piece of information. Um, the, you know, I've talked about the Neighbors United Funding Collaborative uh, officially launched today, Monday, May 4th, actually. Um, we are, and I'm, as I say we, cause I'm a, I'm a, on the board, um, full disclosure, uh, are doing uh, 30 grants to small businesses in the, um, Hamlin Midway, Union Park uh, area directly around the stadium, uh, $2,500 a piece, so thirty, so $75,000 worth of grants is the, is the plan. Um, if you are a small business owner uh, in that area or very close to the area, I would encourage you to apply. Um, go to midwayunited.org. Uh, there is an application link there. So please do that. Um, thanks, big thanks to the team and Allianz. Um, who uh, contributed that $75,000. The, the Community Benefits Fund, which this is, was not really designed for this specific purpose, but obviously um, shit gets weird and real when a uh, pandemic happens and we were able to, uh, to like, quickly rotate and do this uh, small grant thing. So a uh, small business grant thing, which is really cool. So. Uh, and then, uh, so yeah, so please, if you, if you have, if you have questions too, you can always, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Texas LR. I, I do a lot of stuff, uh, I said I'm part of that board as well. So, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, and then the other big, uh, piece that we'll talk about here quickly, uh, or talk about maybe less quickly as we want to talk about our teams is, uh, May the 4th, as Dan alluded to in the, uh, cold open, it is, uh, Star Wars day. It is. A, a day that uh, I think Dan, myself, and uh, MJ are fans of. Bill, not so much. I despise it. <laughs> uh, Bill's like fucking nerds. A uh, fucking capitalist ruining science fiction. <laughs> um, so God, Ragnar looks different tonight. <laughs> Is that Ragnar? I was a, a cat trying to climb shit. Okay. <laughs> No wonder he looks different. Literally yeah. not the same species. So, so Minnesota United put out a, a, a Star Wars starting 11, and then we decided that we were going to do our own Star Wars starting 11. So, MJ, why don't you uh, break this down for us? Maybe give us what Minnesota United did, and then we can, we can each tell our team and, and why we do the, the rationale that we did. So, Minnesota United, on their, on their Twitter, put out a formation. They did a lineup. And for the first time in their history, did a visual spatial lineup. They typed the names, they put them in visual order, 
they put the goalkeeper at the bottom so the left and right is preserved and thus the left back was on the left and the right back was on the right the left wing was on the left and the right wing was on the right. it was amazing and this just goes to show that the people running Minnesota United's Twitter are not inept at doing this they can do this if they want to so um I'll stop ranting about that since their their lineup sheets continually annoy me but this one was good it showed a 4-2-3-1 information they had Darth Vader playing goalkeeper makes sense especially if you allow him to use use the force um Boba Fett at at left fullback it's pretty badass choice Chewbacca at center back um shoehorning a Mandalorian character IG-11 which is a robot uh, bounty hunter droid in at right center back and Yoda at right fullback. <clears throat> I hope you're not. Um, left mid, Obi-Wan. Right mid, Luke. Left wing, Lando. Uh, at the number 10, they put Han Solo. Ray at right wing and Kylo Ren at striker. Um, now, as much as I love that lineup. It's go, bad lineup. What? It's a bad lineup. Yeah, Horrible. it's a bad lineup. People are played out of position. Darth Vader, with all of his equipment, is going to have a hard time moving side to side, as uh, Tony Overstar said on, on Twitter today. Like, he's not going to be able to shift easily. Yeah, he can use the force maybe. But if you don't let him use his lightsaber, to, then, you know, this is soccer. You're not going to be letting them slice, slice up soccer balls. You know, Darth Vader, a goalkeeper, is a bad choice. I think Chewbacca is horribly misplaced at center back where he's no doubtably going to, you know, just pull people's arms out of their socket in the box and just give up a lot of uh, penalty kicks. So I, I like Chewbacca at, at striker. So, you know, it's, I have it, Chewbacca it, at striker, diving headers all the way. Um, I agree with you there. I think Kylo Ren is misplaced as a striker because if he doesn't get any service, he's going to turn into a whiny little bitch. Right, exactly. Kylo Ren yes. can be a whiny little bitch. So, in mean, arguably, that makes him a perfect center forward, considering most center forwards who don't get services are wine. Well, religious. I mean, especially for Minnesota United. So maybe that was maybe they were trying to like capture the team as is. So, so All right, Andy, why don't you why don't you give us your your lineup? Uh, which again, I put a lineup today out on Twitter, and I modified it, modified it just for this podcast, so you had to listen to this to get my real lineup. Um, I, I'm I'm sorry. Form is uh formation is four two three one. Goalkeeper Wedge Antilles, and why do I have Wedge Antilles? Terrible! I don't even know who that is. Terrible choice. No, wait a minute. He always saves the day. Like he's the unsung hero. He always saves the day. You know, he never gets the credit he deserves, like most goalkeepers. And he always has Luke's back, which you know he's gonna have Luke's back. Oh, that guy! That guy. Wedge Antilles is goalkeeper. It's a bit character. Very few lines. (laughs) But he is an unsung hero of the rebellion. If you're gonna do that, you, you should go bigs, man. Like, don't, yeah. Bigs die. Yeah. So do a lot of people in these in these lineups. So, uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Left keep back, going. Luke yeah. Skywalker at center back. How, yeah. However, I'm I'm thinking that that uh, you know some some badass bounty hunter like Boba Fett or something like that might have been better. But we're gonna put Luke Skywalker in there. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. Uh, Luke Skywalker on the, on the left side because they work well together. Obi-Wan at right center back and uh, Mase Windu at right fullback because you it's, want a badass right fullback. How do you know it's Mase and not Mace? It is Mace. It's Mace. It is? 
Yes. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Shows is. you how much I've watched the prequels. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, did you go to a class? <laughs> oh, the, you know what? It's uh, the, when the emperor says his name, it's it's like Master Window, but he says Master in a way that is ah. takes away the R way. I was th- I was replaying that line in my head. Forgive me. Okay. Uh, no. Another uh, deep cut at at my number six, uh, Lobot, who is the uh, a- android, no, cyborg security agent at Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Lobot's the one who kind of saves Leia and Chewie. Um, and, and oh, our- he's, he's the guy who's got the finger around his oh, head? Oh, with the headband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind yeah. of the Dr. J of uh, Cloud City. Yeah, <laughs> so he's the badass security guy. So why wouldn't you want someone who understands security to be your defensive midfielder? Makes sense to me. And plus, he's going to work really well with Lando Calrissian, who I have as my attacking midfielder at, at, at right mid. So I have uh, Lobot and Lando in the uh, rear midfield. And then in the attacking midfield, Kylo Ren at left wing, Ray at number 10, Poe Dameron at right wing, and Chewbacca at striker. Uh, manager, uh, Leia Organa, and assistant manager is uh, Jan Dodana, who is the... Uh, the general explaining the weaknesses of the first Death Star. All right. Okay. I don't know who that is, but okay. Big, big white beard. He's a, he, yeah, he's in, he's in uh, A New Hope. He's in the first Star Wars movie. Okay. All right. He's just standing around the table? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. No, he's, right. he's at the front screen showing the, the weaknesses of the Death Star. Okay. Gotcha. All right. All right. I'll do mine. Uh, I have a 41212. Uh, clearly Chewbacca is the answer and goal. I don't know. You guys are fucking stupid putting him up top. Um, I agree. That dude, you, you want to take a penalty against Chewbacca? That dude yelling at you? You're not going to anywhere near the fucking goal. So, all right. That's, so that's the correct answer. Um, so my, my back four, uh, I have Ben Kenobi. Uh, I went, uh, non-canon Mara Jade, uh, from the, uh, Star Wars novels. Uh, Darth Vader is my right center back. He's my captain, by the way. And then uh, Darth Sidious, uh, Emperor Palpatine, as my right fullback. I have Yoda as my number six. He's pulling the strings. He's the defensive midfielder. I got Poe Dameron and Lando uh, Calrissian. I want, I want youth and I want experience in those uh, midfielder positions. So I got Poe and Lando. <clears throat> They're both sort of uh, aggressive attackers. Um, knowing I have Yoda back there, I, I can let those guys sort of run. I can let basically all five of these people run up top. Um, Han Solo is my number 10. I need a creative attacking uh, uh, flyboy, basically, is my number 10. Uh, Luke is the uh, striker, uh, as well as with Captain Phasma. Luke, uh, again, experience, uh, veteran guile, um, craftiness. And then you need someone big up top uh, if you're going to run a uh, two up top. And um, I was going to have originally had Leia uh, here. Luke and Leia trying to work together with each other, but I realized that they're both very tiny and I need someone tall. So Captain Phasma is my, uh, is my other, my, my second. Because Vader's your captain. Doesn't she have to be renamed vice captain Phasma? Doesn't no. Who's captain <laughs> Phasma? She's from the newer, she's from the newer films, Bill. Uh, I just, I just want to point out that you picked the most immobile character in the entire star Wars canon as a fullback. Like, uh, this is, this is just, you're going to get attacked on the right side. Like you would not believe. That's fine. That's what, that's what Poe po is there to, to help him out. And, and you have Yoda and you have Yoda. Um, my manager is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, and that's then, a deep uh, cut. 
Who are you saying is immobile, Dan? The U23 manager. Palpatine? The old ass dude who can't move? He's got those lightning bolts, though, man. That's not movement. That's still a foul. You're not allowed to electrocute other players. You don't know that. We have not determined what the rules of this league are. Uh, My U23 manager is Leo Organa. Uh, I was going to pick Luke for this, um, but, you know, he obviously is not good at uh, managing and mentoring youth. Um, as Kylo Ren is a, uh, a testament to. Uh, and, uh, my, uh, uh, my physio is uh, 2-1-B, the uh, Empire Strikes Back. Medical okay. point. Director yeah. of football, football analytics is R2-D2, and the throwing coach is uh, C-3PO because his hands are always in the air. <laughs> All right, Bill, what do you got? Me, I'm, uh, I'm running the old 4 4 Classic, we're going to run run right over you. Um, I decided to go with the full-on force. And uh, (laughs) with the exception of my goalkeeper, which is Jabba the Hutt, because I figured Jabba the Hutt covers the entire goal. He's pretty dang close. There is no space He's also also not influenced by the force. He's not, exactly. He's not influenced by the force. So any of your guys who use the force can't influence him. And uh, so he's my he's my keeper. Then across the back, my back line is all the dark side. That's all I've got across the back. I've got uh, Tyrannius, which is uh, Dooku. Mm-hmm. He's my he's my left back. Uh, I've got Vader and Palpatine as my center backs, and Maul out on out on the right back. Then uh, my uh, my four. Midfielders, I've got uh, Organa, Jin, Windu, and Kenobi across there. And uh, Kenobi's my captain. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I, I think Jin's my secret weapon there. Um, yes. You guys, I, I think people uh, underestimate the force in him. For the record, um, Bill, is it Bale Organa or Leia Organa? In, in that, your- that, that, that's Leia Organa, obviously. Bale Organa doesn't have shit of the force in him. You know that. You dumbass, MJ. <laughs> you think I don't really know Star Wars? I just wanted to clear it up for the record. I was 12 years old when the first Star Wars movie came out. I was the target age. And, of course, I don't really need a manager. The force is the manager. And uh, it flows through all of my players and makes them one. And, and fuck the metachlorians. Uh it is the force that, that brings them together. And I feel this team in protest because Star Wars is dumb. And uh, my ball boy is Adrian Heath. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I did, I did miss my two forwards, which is uh, Luke Skywalker and Yoda. And uh, the whole Yoda thing uh, for, uh, that you were putting down with David is, man, Yoda can move. Uh, I do remember when my daughter was watching uh, one of those second series uh, Star Wars that he can jump around like you wouldn't believe. So the moves that guy has, um, yeah, he's a great forward. So I feel pretty confident in my team. That is some serious force. I mean, 5'1". He's fucking tiny. Yeah, yeah. Great vertical. Yeah. Great vertical. Didn't uh, didn't Leo Messi score a header in the Champions League final one year? It's like the same principle. Maybe. All right. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. Nice matters not. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, I appreciate the work you guys did. Uh, I think you put together some really interesting teams. It's it's just interesting to me that you're going to uh, eat shit when you compare it to my team. So we're going to play a 3-5-2. Uh, goalkeeper is General Grievous. The four-armed, incredible lateral movement. <laughs> so, the like, only, if... He's the only acceptable option to Chewbacca in terms of goalkeeper. Yeah. Dan, I, I well, that. Come on, He's come on. Hutt is a great goalkeeper. <laughs> but, but, but if you can get in the corners, he's not moving to stop it. The feature, this is a 3-5-2. And the feature of the defense is the Sarlacc pit at center back. Because, look, you can't cross into the middle there. You literally get eaten. Uh, it's got big tentacles. It's going to knock anything out of the air. So at that point, we have, we have secured the entire center of the field. So now we got to figure out how to secure the wings. Uh, so my left back is Django Fett. My right back is Boba Fett. We know they've got the same mind. They think the same way. They can counter danger equivalently. So, so are really, they clones? Really, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Boba Fett right. is, is, is one of the Django Fett clones. All right. Uh, is, is one of your right backs uh, gets eaten by the Sarlacc pit. So then yeah, you're going to be down a man. He's going to be pressing forward. He's going to be <laughs> pressing forward. It's really a double wing setup. I'm, I'm, so I, this, the, is like, this is like a three, two, <laughs> I mean, eight. eight. <laughs> like, at, look, at the end of most 90 minutes, this ends up being a two, five. I'm trying two. to come up with a scenario where Sarlacc pit causes a penalty and gets a red card. <laughs> yeah, look, it's not great at impulse control. We know that, but uh, <laughs> but this is where the four-armed goalkeeper comes in. Yes, going forward, uh, look, this the six, the central midfielder is is Leia Organa. She is the heart and soul of this team. She is the the absolute uh, mind of the offense and connects the offense to the defense. Everything rolling off of that is pairs. So on the left, we've got Finn and Poe, and assuming they're not making out, they can be an incredibly powerful strike force. We've seen that <laughs> on the – I ship those, by the way. That is, there is no shade on that, and I ship the <laughs> hell out of those two. Oh, yeah. Um, on the right side, we've got Obi-Wan and young Anakin. I'm a little worried about Anakin's um, – Is that the kid Anakin? No, no, no. Not Jake Lloyd Anakin. Hayden Christensen Anakin. Okay. Oh, so he's he, just as bad. In between, if we're talking about acting skill, he's worse. Uh, in between, in between, Pod Racer Anakin and Darth Vader Anakin. Uh, so, so no dead younglings in this offense. Um, but we've got uh, we've got Obi Wan and Anakin. They work really well as a pair. Uh, Anakin can be a little bit of a marauder, but I'm I'm willing to work with that uh, with Boba Fett on the right, providing good cover. And up top, up top on the right, we've got Chewie. Chewie's going to be the, the hold-up striker. I mean, look, like once Chewie's got the ball, you're not getting it off him. We know that. And uh, my, my left striker is, is, of course, his strike partner, Han Solo. And I can't believe you dumb fuckers didn't think of this. Han shoots first. Han is my shoot-first striker. Sure. <laughs> the yeah. one thing I'll have to say is if Anakin Skywalker tries to dive at all, he's not fooling anybody because he's such a bad actor. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's true. It's true. We're gonna train him to stay on his feet. Uh, the uh, the man. I, I my ten. I'll, I'll take. I'll take. Sh- I'll shoot first ten. <laughs> the uh, the manager for this whole whole shenanigan is Admiral Akbar because how else are you gonna recognize an offside trap without the manager screaming, "It's a trap!" Uh, <laughs> and 
uh, my ball boy, uh, I think Bill was right. Uh, he got really, really close. Uh, and the most Adrian Heath-like character of the Star Wars universe is Jar Jar Binks. So Jar Jar Binks yeah. is my ball boy. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So That's pretty funny. So tell us, tell us how we did on our who. Tell us which team would uh, would win in a uh, in a yeah. uh, group stage match yeah. between all four of our teams. Yeah. And who did we forget? What's that? And who did we forget? You know, yeah. tell us I'm that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we covered a lot of uh, of players, obviously, or, or Star Wars characters. So, uh, all right, let's let's quickly do uh, football idol. Um, we're gonna this will be a, a new uh, recurring segment. We're each gonna pick a song or two um, to talk about uh, that is related to football in some way. Uh, or soccer and so uh, and then I'm gonna I'm starting a playlist on Spotify I uh, already some of the songs I know are not on Spotify um, so I apologize uh, especially my song for this week but um, MJ why don't you uh, give us a song or two that we should be looking looking out for related to well, soccer for mainly for you David I I, I choose Pink Floyd's Fearless uh, okay because one it's it's Yes, it's a great song for COVID. Uh, you say the hill is too steep to climb. You know, well, you know, this this is this is our our hill that we have to climb. The, this shelter in place, this disease. So you know, just rip the the lyrics out of context, make them apply to whatever thing you're going through, and that's fine. Uh, this was my first soccer song because I heard it way before I was into soccer. And I didn't know that the that the song that they were singing, I knew it was a soccer song, but the chanting that is fading out at the beginning and kind of fades in towards the end is you never walk alone. Mm -hmm. Now, had I known that, I mean, I wasn't an Everton fan at the time, which <laughs> means I wasn't a Liverpool hater at the time. So, you know, I'm just kind of like jamming to this song, you know, hearing the first time I hear it. This comes from the album, uh, metal which was the album right before dark side of the moon yep and so this is one of uh pink floyd's you know you'd say peak times if they had a peak at all so yeah so i picked that song and then the last song that i'll mention is just titled champions league it is the no, better known as the uefa champions league anthem written by Tony Britton in 1992 and based on Handel's Zadok the Priest, which was a uh, coronation for George II in the 1700s. Which uh, I almost got played at the wedding, but it got vetoed at the last second. <laughs> awesome, Dan. That's awesome. We played uh, Handel's water probably, music instead, so like, it was that close. It's probably the only trilingual song on, on the list today so i'm just going out there that it features like all three uefa languages english french and german 
All right. Dan, what do you got? I have uh, as close as you will get to an encapsulation of the English mentality vis-a-vis -vis soccer in song that you will ever get. And it takes uh, place in two songs. Uh, the first is Three Lions uh, by Lightning Seeds, uh, a song that talks about the glory of old English soccer. And it was for... Uh, for the uh, Euro 96 tournament that was played in England. And, the, and uh, the chorus goes, it's coming home, it's coming home, football's coming home. And this really drives home the, the idea that uh, football was born in England, which is debatable, <laughs> but we'll sort of give them, or rather we won't go into a two hour podcast debating whether or not it was born <laughs> in England. Association football as we know it today was largely born in England, whatever, yada, yada, yada. So, so this song is all about like how great England had been and uh, it features actually one of my favorite uh, sports song lines, irrespective of sport, which is, I know that was then, but it could be again. And it, it's this hopeful anthem. And then you get uh, Three Lions 98, which begins where Three Lions 96 leaves off, uh, which is to say when England lost on penalties in Euro 96. Uh, to Germany, as England is wont to do. Uh, so the Three Lions 96 was the official song of England 96. Uh, it hit number one on the UK charts. Um, it's a legitimately interesting good song, kind of. It gets stuck in my head all the time. It name checks the players that are going to sort of do England, uh, do England for glory. If you watch the original video, it features like six Germans with uh, Kunz, K-U-N-T-Z, on the back of their jersey, which is not particularly subtle. And then Klinsmann, uh, hmm. again, not subtle. <laughs> um, but this is like a, another great testament to English, like, it's not really nationalism, kind of, because, I mean, this is sort of a UK anthem, but specific for the English. That's kind of a weird deal. But the sort of English jingoism when it comes to sports. But the really interesting thing is it doesn't just embody England's former glory. It really encompasses the fact that England sucks a lot and all the time. But no one can point that out because if you do, the English will scream at you about how good they used to be. Uh, Three Lions 98 for the 98 World Cup in France was not the official English national anthem, or sorry, the, the English official team anthem at the time. It did, however, also hit number one. So both of these songs hit number one. And the official England anthem for that year uh, didn't rise above number nine. So it's clear that uh, Three Lions and Three Lions 98 really did capture the English imagination, mostly because it's so thoroughly grasps both the we're totally amazing except for the part where we suck 
but no one can point out we suck except for the English. England is awesome. That, that totally encompasses being an England football fan. Being an England football fan is the closest thing I've ever seen to being a Minnesota sports fan outside of Minnesota. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Bill, what do you got? All right. I have two songs that are very, very different from each other. Um, the first song is by Jorge Benor. Um, he's a uh, Brazilian artist who's, uh, he's been very famous in Brazil since like the seventies. And, uh, this is a song that I first heard back in the early nineties. And it was on a compilation, um, that, uh, a record label that David Byrne, uh, has, and it was just a, a mix of songs. And I had no idea that the song was about football. And, uh, I just, I, and I've put this song on countless mixes for people over the year. And it's just, it's just that great of a song. It's just a joyous, fun party song. And, uh, and it's called uh, Ponta de Lanca Africano. And, but more, you, more people know it as, as Umba Baba Rumba. Babaraúma, homengo, babaraúma, homengo, babaraúma, homengo, babaraúma, homengo. And uh, uh, yeah, and it's it's just this fun song and and basically the lyrics are look look how the city got completely empty this beautiful afternoon just to see you play umba babarumba goal man goal play ball <laughs> play ball player play ball um and it just it goes on and on and on just all these and it's just these repetitive phrases and it's just and it's it's kind of like a a song and a reply song and a reply and uh and it's just such a fun song and uh yeah it's 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 great so i hope uh, i hope you guys give it a chance uh listen to it on the on the spotify list um the second song couldn't be more different it's uh it's by a band called the fall and it's from uh, the early 80s and the fall is a band from manchester city and uh they were um one of the early punk bands and uh Marky Smith, their singer, um, they're from Manchester, and he's a City fan. And this song is about he got really discouraged because he really saw uh, football as being taken over by the middle class and the seat prices going up and there just being no place for the lower class, for the working class, and people sitting behind glass windows watching the games. And, and, uh, and, and he had a great quote about, about Roy Keane saying that people were, you know, sitting, sitting in these booths, eating prawn sandwiches. And, uh, and the lyrics, the way he wrote lyrics where he would write these long lyrics and then he would over weeks just take out words and take out words and take out words. And, and in a lot of ways you almost need, uh, you know, need them to be annotated to understand what the lyrics are. And, uh, and in my notes, I've I've put there is an annotated. You can you can look up annotated fall lyrics, and they're all out there. 
and the lyrics to the song are, are genius. And and uh, one of the one of the lines in this song, uh, and it he he's very much sounds like a guy who uses a bullhorn. And at one point he goes, "Fans, remember you are abroad. Remember the police are rough. Remember the unemployed. Remember my expense account." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, and a lot of it is saying from the point of view of uh, of like broadcasters and 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 how they, you know, have this fat expense account and they're going abroad and they're putting down the traveling fans and calling them all, you know, ruffians and and hooligans and and they're just the working class, and uh, and these 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 commentators are you know wealthier you know middle to upper class who have expense accounts and living living high and uh and it's just wrong and and the game is being corrupted so two completely different songs the yeah. latter being extremely appropriate for what amounts to our May Day podcast yeah 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 um all right cool uh, i have a i have two i have a lot but uh, well i'm going to stay with two um one is on Spotify, which will be on the playlist that will be posted in the notes for this uh, podcast. Uh, the other is not on Spotify. You're going to have to look it up on YouTube. I will also probably link the YouTube in the description of the podcast. Uh, the first is called uh, Ole Ole Ole, The Name of the Game. Uh, it's originally uh, written by a, a band called The Fans uh, back in 1987, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's a really, it's, a, it's an earwormy kind of song. It's there's literally like 25 words that are sung in the song. The name of the game. Football. The name of the game. Football. The name of the game. Football. The name of the game. very repetitive it's about three and a half minutes uh but it's fucking great so i really encourage you to uh check that one out uh uh chumbawamba did a cover of it in 1998 for the uh for the 1998 world cup it was the unofficial anthem of the 1998 world cup um chumbawamba of uh tub thumping fame um so definitely check that one out and the the one that you are gonna need to uh click on the link uh, to watch is a, the 1990, 1990, that's 9-0, USA World Cup Anthem um, by DJ Jeff, uh, or, sorry, Def Jeff and DJ Eric Vaughn. It's a, it's an intense. Togetherness and unity means victory. For you and me, with dedication, heart and soul, you have the tools to achieve your goals in a battle. I never lose cause I'm a champion. I march on till victory is won. Reaching higher, striving harder, always doing better. Cause it's a part of the winning spirit. You gotta keep your chin up and we'll be coming home with the World Cup. So put your best foot forward, together let's step. But make sure momentum is kept. And it features, yeah, the USA World Cup soccer team. 
Um, and then uh, if you watch the video and you really need, you absolutely need to watch the video because they try to do a sort of we are the world style uh, cameo thing halfway through. Um, and you've, and I just, I found this song tonight as I was searching for soccer songs. And all of a sudden I'm watching the video and I, I stop the video and shout at my wife. My son is sleeping in another room. Holy fuck, that's OJ Simpson. <laughs> OJ Simpson sings on this fucking song. OJ Simpson. Uh, as well as Marcus Allen, uh, another uh, Raider, uh, a very uh, good, famous Raider running back, um, and amongst other people. Um, but the video is fucking amazing. The song is terrible, but amazing. It's not on Spotify, and I apologize. Um, I told all these guys to find stuff on Spotify, mostly because I want people to read or listen to it. But I will, I will post the YouTube link in into the description of the of the podcast and I'll have it on the, on the website page. So um, yeah, it's called uh, victory. It's the name of the song. Um, yeah. 1990. And they sing about winning the world cup in 1990 in Italy. It's very, it's very bad. We got real close that year. It's, and it's also like, it's, <laughs> it's a bunch of, I, I'm assuming it's, I don't, I don't recognize any of the players uh, like on the beach uh, kicking a soccer ball around, but it's like a lot of them kicking a soccer ball around the beach. And then like, there's a scene towards the end where they're trying to throw a guy into the ocean. Um, I mean, I don't think Eric Winalda was old enough to be on the 1990 world cup team. I would assume they would throw Eric Winalda in the ocean. Cause he's a kind of a gas baggy asshole, but um, wow. anyway. so, so that's, those are my two contributions. Uh, the fans, ole, 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 and then uh, Victory by uh, Def Jeff and DJ Eric Vaughn in 1990. Anyways, um, all right, so we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to do our, our new, our other new segment, uh, Loons Sliding Doors. Uh, we will do uh, One Saloon and then uh, wrap up with some recommendations for the week. So uh, we'll be right back. You want me that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to but we both know I can't do nothing at all oh, yeah. all right and we're back uh with the Dave's Little podcast uh thanks for sticking with us through the uh music segment hopefully that is not the most terrible thing, and you guys will come back for it. Now we have uh, a very exciting segment, I think, that we have um, a lot of enthusiasm for um, called Loons Sliding Doors. For those of you who don't get the reference, uh, it's a reference to a Gwyneth Paltrow movie uh, released back in 1998, a romantic comedy uh, drama. Um, basically, it's what happens if, like, the movie basically happens is like there's like two alternative realities, whether like one is they catch the train, one is they don't catch the train. Um, so we're going to do some, uh, there's lots of points in Minnesota United and Minnesota soccer history where there are sliding doors of, of something happening or something not happening um, and where the team might have gone. Um, maybe the team goes extinct. Maybe... Uh, we win the league. Who the hell knows? So we're taking the first one. Uh, we're going to take a really easy one, I think. Uh, and we are going to um, slide back into 2019. Uh, we are 
in the middle of a a, a run of uh, very very good fixtures. It's July thirteenth. It's two thousand nineteen. It's a it's a very gorgeous night. It's about nine oh five ish, and Renato Ziegler steps up to take a penalty, uh, and instead of going left, he goes right, and beats Vito Manone. Uh, securing a 1-1 draw for FC Dallas against Minnesota in Minnesota in the 96th minute of uh, uh, the sixth minute of added time, 96th minute overall. Um, I'm going to set the stage a little bit here for what was at stake and sort of what had happened right afterwards. And then I'll we'll, we'll let the guys talk a little bit about um, what they think would have happened if Ziegler had gone right instead of going left. Um, instead of Vito Manone making one of the most emphatic saves of his lifetime, a save that potentially uh, won him the uh, you know, Keeper of the Year award. Um, so it was a weird July match, mid-July match. Uh, Minnesota had just won. Uh, that was its fifth win in a row after three losses right before that. Um, after this match, they would go on to two draws and one win. Uh, so they would have their most successful run of the season, those eight matches, basically, uh, starting in – late May to uh, early August um, at this point. So yeah. And then again, they, they, uh, they took 17 points out of a possible 21 um, before losing their first loss in that, in that stretch to the aforementioned uh, Dallas team, FC Dallas down in Frisco, five to three. Um, at this point, the team was on 33 points. They had 10 wins, three draws and seven losses. Um, they ended the weekend uh, at fourth FC Dallas ended the weekend in sixth, or sorry, in seventh. Um, both teams ended in those positions. Um, FC Dallas never got above sixth. Minnesota was as high as second going into the last week of the season. So with that said, uh, what happens if Zigo goes right? So if this match ends in a draw and nothing else changes, everything else happens as it happens, Minnesota finishes on 51 points. FC Dallas, is, FC Dallas finishes on 49 points. Um, we travel to LA Galaxy as the five seed instead of LA Galaxy coming to Minnesota as the fifth seed. This is all based on wins because we would have uh, shared the same number of points with LA, LA Galaxy, um, but they would have had the uh, tiebreaker based on wins. And FC Dallas would still finish seventh. They would have been tied with Portland, but again, wins uh, would have kept them seventh. So if everything stays the same, just this one uh, fixture is changed. Uh, not much changes in terms of like what happens in the playoffs. Um, however, a few things, um, you know, we see Minnesota's form changes uh, very dramatically sort of after this run of matches. Uh, and uh, I'll, just, I'll kick it off to whomever wants to start. Um, what happens if that goal goes in, if that penalty kick goes in and Zigo goes right? Who wants to start? Ooh. I'll take this. So I, I was the one who threw out this question because uh, I had watched the replay of the game and it was one of the first replays that Minnesota United showed on Fox. Uh, this match was unbelievably intense. Both the, the Loons and Dallas clearly wanted this. This was not a match where Minnesota was trying to sneak out a, you know, a 1-0 home win or Dallas was going to be content with a nil-nil draw. Both of these teams were throwing punches at each other, and there's some really good goalkeeping on both sides. And Minnesota goes on, scores in the 90, either 90th or 91st, I believe, 
Uh, and then we get the, the huge penalty yeah. claim that we're talking about in the, in the 96th. So these are two teams that clearly saw each other as major rivals. They, they knew what points were at stake. Um, honestly, sitting in the stands for this game, Vito's save, the, the crowd reaction, legitimately one of the coolest moments I've ever been in a stadium for. And I think if we turn this, if, if Ziegler slots home the penalty and this is a hard-fought, sincere 1-1 draw, the biggest thing to me is that this is a mental drain for Minnesota United. They, they fought hard all game. They defended well. They had some really solid attacks. Finley and Darwin Quintero um, just missed each other on little occasions. And, and, and that's why this got so tense because there were some clear-cut chances earlier in the game. And so when Mason's, Mason Toy scores uh, off the rebound in the, the 90th or 91st, you all of a sudden get this huge high that the team carries with them through the rest of the season. It carries them through U.S. Open Cup. It brings them into uh, some critical ties, particularly against Portland in the next sort of week, 10 days or so. Uh, but all of that goes away if – uh, if Ziegler goes right, Vito misses the save, et cetera. Um, and that's what's so fascinating to me about this match is that it, it, it's not only an access point for, for the league, but it's also an access point to me for the U.S. Open Cup. We see United's form fade a little bit going into the next couple of games. But uh, to me, this is about the psychology. One point against a league rival is not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, you don't want that at home. But it's all about the fact that they knew coming out of this match that they could dig deep against a more talented squad. And I don't think it's, it's too much of a stretch to say that Dallas was a more talented squad going into that game. They could dig deep. They could defend well. And when the chips were down, they could win games. And if they don't pull this game out, I really question whether they are able to um, knock off Portland in the U.S. Open Cup. I question their extent, the extent to which they can really match up against RSL. They had two critical matches against them coming up. The the whole the the two game sequence against uh, Sporting KC uh, to end the season really really comes into tension. So uh, this is this to me is a fascinating point in in uh, Minnesota United season and honestly I'm solidly on the side that if they they falter in this game they falter in the U.S. Open Cup they maybe don't go through and maybe they don't even make the playoffs I think the ultimate result of Vito successfully saving this penalty is that Adrian Heath's job is secure for this season and going forward and I think we can have a good debate about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I will. I will point out they they played RSL right after this game in in Rio Tinto. Um, uh, it was a one one draw um, with a uh, U, U, Minnesota United led at the fifty seventh minute, and then RSL scored, um, and then Minnesota beat RSL um, a few weeks later uh, in September at home three to one. RSL still f- finished ahead. Of Minnesota United in the uh, in the playoffs uh, and the uh, structure, they finished in third, where Minnesota um, ended up in in fourth place. So, um, yeah, that's 
Very curious. Uh, MJ or Bill, do you guys have uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I can go next. Go so ahead. my my sliding door. Yeah. They uh, so he goes uh, he goes right instead of left, um, and scores and the supporters. It was down in the supporters' end that uh, and and the supporters just turns and cans and glasses just rain onto the field. <laughs> and, it was actually it was actually in the in the uh, the opposite end of the. Oh no! It was. Yeah, yeah, it's beer hall end. Damn. Okay. So even without that, so that doesn't happen. All right. Well, darn. plenty of cans in the beer hall end. So that match, I That's mean, so they're, they're probably much more likely to throw their cans than the people in the Wonderwall. The Wonderwall people yeah. are. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, we had sixteen shots that match, and uh, we had so many great chances, and we were. S- just could not finish. We were slow. We didn't have the tools to get it done. I mean, we really saw how ineffective Angelo was, how Miguel wasn't getting it done. Um, there was a lot of just poor finishing in that game. Uh, Finley was not creative. Um, Finley has not been the most creative player. He's probably one of the biggest effort players I think we've ever had, but not high on creativity. Um, and, uh, and from there, um, we take a slide. Um, I think that kills us in that Portland series just down the road. Um, and then kills us going and, and ruins our chance at the U S Open cup, which gave us such a huge boost. And, uh, instead of down the road. So, uh, going into that game, we were at like what? 1.5 goals, uh, per match or 1.5 points per match. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then from there on, we were at like 1.3 points per match. And I think we start sliding down to where we were in the first two seasons where we're a lot closer to one, 1.05 points per match. Um, I think it, I think it would do that much damage. Um, I don't think it has any effect on Heath. I, I have that little, uh, faith in our front office that they, you know, getting a new coach is hard work. Who wants to do hard work? Um, it, uh, yeah, I think he is, his job was, you know, already decided on by that point. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't see us winning that LA match. If, uh, if, if we're down at that point, um, boy, we had a big uh, match against Kansas city after that. Didn't we? We had two. Yeah. Um, Yeah, those were huge matches down the road after that. You know, and the thing I remember last season was how poor to mediocre we played and still got fairly decent outcomes out out of a lot of matches. And uh, in that, you know, end of the year run, we we ended up what we were like five, five, and five out of our last 15 games and uh and and yet we played like a team that was like you know you know oh eight and seven um it seemed that bad to me um we just somehow we in and that's that's a testament to a team though too that you find wins where there's not wins you know so it, it you know and that's great so that's a plus 
So, uh, yeah, I, I remember finishing games and just going, can't believe we got the points there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, but I think, I think we, uh, that, that sliding door would have slid on our foot. So on to someone else. Hey, I'm just going to reinforce something that Bill said on that. This would, this would have affected our future results like that, that LA galaxy, LA galaxy game. And that on based on what Dan said, our our mentality, our confidence, you know, is going to be hugely affected. More specifically, I'm wondering how I don't see Vito. I mean, earlier in the game, Vito had an amazing save against Brian Acosta. You know, Brian Acosta uh, got loose outside the 18. And everybody was either chasing him or too far back. They had other people they were marking, you know, in the box. And then our defensive midfielders were, were uh, Greg Usen and Alonzo, I think, were both behind, uh, chasing from behind on, on Brian Acosta. And he lets one loose. And it's bending into uh, what would be Vito's upper left. And he makes an amazing save. And so Vito was on that entire game and well-deserved the, the clean sheet. but he has done enough up until that season. And, you know, if he lets in that penalty kick, that's kind of what the odds say are supposed to happen. So the, the goat or the, the, the scapegoat, if you will, goes to, goes to chase Gasper on, on the tackle, which, you know, was not really that harsh of a harsh of a foul in the box, but it's a foul in the box. And so, do the fans turn on him? Do the coaching staff maybe, you know, are a little bit harsh on him? Do we maybe regret the Eric Miller trade or anything like that on that we don't have someone more experienced and, you know, with a, a little bit more awareness in the box of when to foul, when not to foul? Is there and, more hate driven towards Chase Gasper? You know, he kind of gets away scot-free because of that amazing veto save. Didn't Vito cause that foul, though? Yeah. Yeah, at best, it's a 50-50. Yeah. Like, uh, it wasn't Chase Gasper? The foul was on Vito. Uh, and the foul been... was on Vito, but I think Gasper was just, you know, limiting the space that he had to move oh, that, sure, that yeah. Vito had to operate in. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. You're right. I'm yeah. just remembering then. Uh, I remember Chase Gasper kind of making an error and letting his letting the guy come in. Um. Yeah, the guy he, got a the guy got around him. Yeah, yeah. Was, I think I think Gasper made the error. I think Vito made the technical foul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I'm misremembering. Thank you for correcting yeah. me. No, I I think you're right. I think it, this is a semantic difference. Yeah. But I, I do think there there's basically more hate driven towards Chase Gasper on this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I have a question on the goal in that match that we did get. Um, was Toy's goal, was it a, a shot that Gregus took? Gregus took off it. Their, off their keeper and then Toy put it in? Yep. Pulled a rebound and Toy put it that, in. That's what I thought, right at the 90th. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, like the 91st or whatever. Um, and, and the penalty kick was like at the 95th. You know? Yeah. 97th, yeah. Oh, my bad. So, uh, so, here's, so here's what I think. Um I think that save um, 
wins veto goalkeeper of the year. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, statistically, he wasn't the goalkeeper of the year, but that saved it. He doesn't make that save, which is on his highlight reel, obviously. Um, He doesn't win goalkeeper of the year. Um, I think there's a very real possibility that Dito Monone is still playing with Minnesota United. Um, I think Redding sells him for a reasonable fee. Um, He doesn't ask for astronomical wages uh, and – you know, he is, he's our goalkeeper this year, uh, which, you know, there's obviously a lot of, you know, stuff there. We have yet to see, I mean, we've seen Tyler Miller in two games. I like Tyler Miller. I think for what Tyler Miller is, he's a much uh, cheaper version of, of Vito Monone. So I'm actually kind of happy uh, that that happened this way. However, I'll throw a few, uh, a few other stats out here uh, at you guys. So the next three matches that Minnesota United played, they scored three goals and they got five points. Um, Minnesota managed to score more than one goal in only four of their last 15 matches, uh, including the playoff loss to uh, the LA Galaxy. They were shut out five times in those 15 matches. Um, yeah. They finished the season five, five, and four. Um, this, you know, presuming all the other results say the same. 48 points don't, doesn't make the playoffs. Um, so if we take away two points from Minnesota, they would be at 51 points. Um, I could easily see them dropping the next match in RSL, um, which takes them down to 50 points. They lose that match. Um, do, and at, to Bill's point earlier, do they have the confidence to smash and grab in LA? That's another three points down the drain. Uh, also, without the late game, Grey Goose toy heroics against FC Dallas. Do they have the gumption to get the 90th minute winner against Sporting Kansas City in September, which gives them another three points? Um, you know, more importantly, even if everything stays the same and we still make the playoffs and go to LA and lose, does Heath get his extension? I think a, a really great point that Bill brought up that I didn't even consider was a this what this effect would have on the open cup um i think i really honestly i truly believe that winning the open cup or getting to the finals of the open cup was more of the catalyst of saving adrian heath's job than making the playoffs was sure honestly i think so 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 if we you know if we lose if we, if we draw fc dallas we say that we go to rsl we lose in rsl we come back home, we maybe we, we still draw with Vancouver. Maybe we beat Vancouver, right? Maybe we're like, fuck, we need to like step on the gas. So we beat Vancouver. We play Portland, knowing that we have to play Portland again in the Open Cup. Um, and we're, you know, and if we're not on a run of, of not losing points in seven consecutive matches, do we maybe rotate right. more of the Open Cup and then lose the Open Cup match? So yeah. lose out in the in the semifinals of the Open Cup and not make the Open Cup final. Like I think there's a there's a lot of uh, I really think like legitimately this might have been um, there's this is one sliding door of where Adrian Heath might not have his job as Minnesota United manager and that would have that's like the best timeline as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. we're living in the worst timeline right now, the darkest timeline possible ever we have the fucking plague and adrian heath is coaching minnesota united however i don't know if we could have gotten here without 
all that other shit. So. I, I have a question. Well, two things, actually. One, does this year count against Adrian Heath's uh, contract? Um, I hope so. I hope so. Um, and then the other one, uh, part of the sliding door thing, is uh, Ziegler makes that penalty. Does he uh, go back to Europe and get on another team? Does it change his whole life? We didn't even, we didn't even consider that. We didn't even consider <laughs> I mean, that. he's been he's been on like uh, you know fourteen teams in his life. Most of uh, all of them in Europe, except for except for Dallas. Yeah, he's been on Hamburg, Wigan, Tottenham. Uh, Ah, wait, so no he was on, he bottled it. He was on Juventus. Um, boy, he's been, yeah. <laughs> he's been he's a journeyman. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he'd be playing with Jerry. Maybe. Yeah. So, anybody have any final thoughts on this this particular sliding door moment? I'm glad. Such... He... Go ahead, Bill. I'm glad he saved it. Not necessarily related <laughs> to the sliding door aspect, but I will say that based on a lot of what you've said that the fact that Minnesota United improved their defense and their spine, if you will, they went and got Ozzy Alonzo, they got Ike Opara, uh, Metinair and Jan Gregus were, were huge improvements. The fact that they improved that defense allows us to win without scoring a lot of goals. You know, we can have someone like an Angelo Rodriguez who's not scoring a lot of goals and we can still will win games by preventing goals by, by our opposition. And we're seeing in year two of the not soft open that they went and spent some money on the offense and with any sort of luck, maybe we see two games of, of this season yet. Uh, where where we can see that come to fruition more. Yeah, this to me, I mean, there's a, there's this, this game more than any other in the 2019 season is fascinating to me. I feel like we could take this game apart a hundred ways and come up with a hundred counterfactual solutions to it. Um, one of the things that I think Bear is pointing out is. We all agree, whether we agree this would have cost Heath his job or we would have missed the playoffs or this, that, and the other. We all agree this is incredibly important in the 2019 season. And it should be pointed out, Vita was not in the team's plans. He was their backup option after, uh, I forget the keeper's name. Bobby Shuttleworth. No, 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 no. The keeper out of South America. Oh, yeah, that guy. The guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was rape or molestation. Let's be a little more specific. I think, I think it was domestic of, abuse. It oh. was domestic abuse. So my bad. Like I agree, all of these things are awful, but they're distinctly awful. They're different. Uh, yes. My my bad. So uh, Vita was the the fallback option, um, and and ends up coming up with this incredible moments, unbelievably influential moment yeah. in the entire season. Uh, so that's, that in and of itself is interesting enough to me. Um, but, you know, it, it's so fascinating, you know, two games into the 2020 season for whatever it will be, we, we look at a team and we start to look at that five-game win streak where, okay, this, the, the team really hit its stride, they were great, and clearly the 2020 team is more like that team. 
So what if that was a four-game winning streak and instead the end of the season malaise was a little bit longer? Um, that's just completely fascinating to me. And then it gets all the more – it's not – all the weirder by virtue of the fact that, hey, this season is going to be like six games. And that's it's just totally weird. So even these seminal moments become even weirder in light of our current situation. It's just it's, – it's all completely fascinating. Yeah, so that's uh, Loon's Sliding Door. So if you have a suggestion for, you know, a Loon Sliding Door moment that you want us to discuss, uh, let us know. You could even potentially join us in the podcast. I mean, we got shit else going on right now. If you're, if you're free on a Monday night at 9, Bill, you're, uh, you're, you're muted. I said I'll gladly take a week off. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, so let us know. There's 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 tons in in, in this franchise's history. So um, so yeah, if you have if you have a suggestion, let us know on the on the twitters at tdikmn. Uh, MJ, once a loon, why don't you uh, break it down for us? Let's talk about Forward Madison FC. Started in 2018 by Peter Wilt, I believe Wes Verdine called him the Godfather of Upper Midwest Soccer Clubs. He's been a part of or helped start or been the CEO or president of the Milwaukee Wave, Chicago Fire, the Chicago Red Stars, an indoor team by the name of Chicago Riot, and Indy 11. And, now, and the Minnesota Thunder, exactly. And, and now Forward Madison. So they ended up being the fourth founding member of USL League One in the sort of transition from not having a third tier in the U.S. Soccer Federation soccer pyramid that has no pro-rel, but we still want to have different levels of the pyramid. And uh, there really wasn't one. Uh, we had kind of a, a donut hole or a gap between the top USL and the PDL, the Premier Development League. And then now we have, uh, based on the British system, a USL Championship, USL League One, and a USL League Two. Um, so they were the fourth founding member of USL League One, which is the third division of U.S. soccer. They play at Bree Stevens Field, which happens to be the oldest mason have the oldest masonry grandstand in Wisconsin. Former loons that are at Ford Madison currently, uh, defender Connor Tobin. He is their captain. He also serves on the USL Players Association, which I just found out. And that player association encompasses both uh, USL Championship and USL League One. Uh, he was on the Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota Stars in 2012, and then the first year of Minnesota United NASL with Bill McGuire at the helm. Uh, J.C. Banks, who played for Minnesota United in 2015 and 2016, as an attacking midfielder and assistant coach Neil Halavity, who played midfield for the Minnesota Stars in the glory years of 2010 to 2012. Any favorite memories uh, for those players, uh, Connor Tobin, J.C. Banks, Neil Halavity? Um, I'm going to start with Connor Tobin. Very shortly after he arrived, it had to have been you know four or five games into the season. We had played a few games in 2012, but in 2011, we had won the Soccer Bowl. And although Connor Tobin wasn't on that team that won the Soccer Bowl, 
they had kind of a meet the players, drink from the soccer bowl, take a picture with the soccer bowl at Brits. And I went there and I, you know, I'm hanging around kind of, I arrive late as usual and I'm hanging around kind of later. And I get a chance to talk with drunk Connor Tobin about, you know, life playing for Minnesota stars. And he was just really cool guy, very friendly. And I was talking about Manny versus Carl and he definitely kind of affirmed what we know. It's like, Carl's the shit. Carl knows his X's and O's. He's the tactician. Um, and just had a really great conversation with Connor. Um, I'll just throw in. Uh, so if you haven't been to a Ford Madison game, um, Bree Stevens field is really cool. It's an old, uh, it was like a baseball stadium, then a football field. It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of cool complex. Like they have like a grandstand where they definitely like with baseball and all that, but this high school football, um, it's, it's really cool. Um, it's right in, it's right near downtown, uh, Madison. So really easy to get to, um, there's a really great uh, restaurant that's a couple blocks away. That's a really awesome old fashioned if you're into that sort of shit. Um, but uh, a couple things. Uh, so last summer I went down there when they, when Minnesota played uh, Madison for a friendly and they had did the, the Mingo and loons scarf. Um, and so my, Anna, my wife's parents, live in Madison. So we, we go down there regularly and it's like, Oh, we'll go down and check out this match and all that. And I went down uh, and they were selling the scarves at a certain time. I think like at noon on, on Friday or whatever. So we got down there the night before hanging out. I get down there um, like maybe around 1130 and I was kind of like milling around the stadium. And I saw a guy in a Mingo's uh, shirt, um, like a collared shirt, and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm just, you know, waiting around for the scarf thing to start happening. And he's like, oh, are you from Minnesota? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, just come on. Like, this is at like 1130. It's supposed to start at like noon. He brings me into the the store at Bree Stevens Field. And I was able to buy like four scarves. So I bought scarves for myself, a couple other people. And then I bought one um, for the Dark Cloud uh, charity auction last year that I actually had Connor Tobin and JC Banks and uh, Neil Lavity sign. And I was trying to get Peter Wilt to sign as well, but he was not in town at that time. Um, my other favorite Connor Tobin story is not actually on the pitch. It's uh, Connor Tobin, uh, I think it was a, a 2014 season. Uh, he was injured um, on a, in a the Minnesota United um, or a, no, it was, yeah, Minnesota United, maybe it was 2015. Minnesota United road trip. He was at the Nomad uh, watching the match with the Dark Clouds. And uh, we ended up in the bathroom at the Nomad together. And um, I don't know if you remember the bathroom at the Nomad. It was really shitty and tiny. And uh, chips and paint. Yeah. So we were, we were both at the urinal taking a piss. And then. Um, you know, he got, he finished, he went and washed his hands. I don't think he normally washes his hands when he, uh, after he pisses, but he definitely did. And uh, I definitely tweeted out from the bathroom, just piss next to Turbo Tobin. He would definitely washes his hands at the, at, at the, uh, after he pisses uh, and then posted it on Twitter, which he 
like immediately liked. Uh, and then, cause we were sitting next to each other at the fucking bar, like right next to each other, just hanging out. Um, it was fun. So anyways, it's my, my, my turbo story. Turbo push like washes his hands after he pisses. Good for him. You're a regular uh, columnist. You can, social anyone, columnist. You can, anyone else <laughs> with uh, J.C. Banks, Neil Havity, uh, Connor Tobin's uh, memories, their stories? I'll throw mm-hmm. a Peter uh, Wilt one out there right now because uh, it's it's super relevant. So Peter Wilt is sort of the and, and Wes isn't wrong on this at all. He is the godfather of Midwest soccer. I mean, his his hands are in nearly every soccer initiative in Minnesota. Wisconsin, the, I legitimately forgot the name of that state, which shows you how forgettable it is, and Illinois. Um, I mean, he's a, a founding owner of the Fire. He's got hands in the Minnesota Thunder. Uh, his current initiative is the Belvedere Oasis FC, and anyone who has ever driven between Minnesota and Chicago has driven past the Belvedere Oasis. It is the first anything resembling civilization uh between chicago and uh, janesville mm-hmm. and uh that's probably being a little bit friendly to janesville but i've stopped there enough times that i feel that's appropriate uh so belvedere oasis fc is a is an extremely real soccer team and anyone who says otherwise is a liar um but their uh their kids are for sale currently they are a peter wilt founded team and uh a huge portion of, of their uh, proceeds are currently going to charity. So if you are the person who drives a lot between uh, Minnesota and Chicago, which is to say, I don't know, 60% of the population of Minneapolis and 24% of the population of Chicago, uh, you should be buying these kits, the proceeds of which go to charity, because uh, this is your team. More than either Minnesota United or the Chicago Fire or any team in between, the Belvedere Oasis FC uh, is your team. And speaking of charity, I just want to give a shout out to Forward Madison. They're doing a Forward Madison versus COVID-19 charity match. For $10, you can buy a commemorative ticket. $5 of every ticket will be spent at local restaurants to help feed frontline workers so half of the money goes to forward madison to help them not being able to play right now and get ticket sales and the other five dollars goes to local um emergency healthcare workers and then that will be used to be spent at local restaurants so it's it's a pretty good deal um Fans that purchase the ticket will have their names on a permanent mural outside Breeze Stevens Field. So I know money's tight. There are a lot of people that are unemployed, or if they're not unemployed, they're underemployed or really strapped for cash right now. But if you have $10, consider buying a commemorative ticket uh, for the Forward Madison versus COVID-19 charity match. Yeah, 100%. All right. Thank you, MJ. Um, all right. So our, we always end, we're ending the podcast with, uh, our tips and tricks to survive the Rona. Um, I'll start. I, so I, uh, picked up Norwood, uh, Charles Portis novel uh, a while ago, right after he, so he passed away in February. Um, Charles Portis wrote True Grit, 
uh, the novel that uh, the movies have been made on, based on. Um, but apparently Norwood is, is, is I've, I just started it. It's, uh, it's very surreal and very uh, interesting. It was also something that apparently the, uh, the Simpsons writer's room, like in the early days of the Simpsons, like they, when you were hired onto that writer's room, they made you read this novel or like get their sensibility, which I kind of understand. It's very, it's very surreal. It's very weird. Um, uh, it's, Charles Portis was a, was a journalist uh, who lived in New York and London and, and actually ended up moving back to Arkansas to write novels. And he's a very interesting character himself. Um, so I'm reading Norwood right now. I'm looking at things I can't afford to buy. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that um, Liverpool, so here's here. So I'll, I'll keep you guys into effect. So Liverpool is their their uh, kit makers have been New Balance for the last fucking I don't know ten years. Um, all of a sudden, New Balance is really keen on selling me Liverpool gear. When I haven't gotten it, I couldn't buy a fucking Liverpool kit or any Liverpool gear. I had to I had to go searching for the longest fucking time. Um, but apparently now, like now that their contract is running up and Nike's going to take it over next year, they're very keen on selling me all of the Liverpool shit. So they have a lot of retro stuff. Uh, anyways, so I'm looking at a lot of things I can't afford to buy, which is fine. And then uh, I'm organizing Zoom calls all over the place for friends and family and all that. Are the, yeah, thanks. thanks. Yes, yes, we know. <laughs> yeah. So... So yeah, that's what I've been up to to try and keep myself sane. Um, MJ, what do you got? I'm working on bicycles. Uh, if you have a bike that needs some work or have questions about uh, fixing your bike or modifying your bicycle, let me know. I'm playing Zoom Cribbage with my nephew. Um, you can play this a lot of different ways. You can be really simple and just have two decks and two cribbage boards. But uh, for me, in order to ensure the that both hands, the cribbage and the starter card, have no duplicates. Um, it's best played with four decks and two boards. Um, and you can do this over Zoom. And if you have any questions on the mechanics of how that works, you can uh, just uh, at me at Twitter. Um, I'm also starting to watch, uh, there's a video slash audio series with involving the rhyme of the ancient Mariner. Uh, it's a epic poem uh, or it's a poem written by uh, Coolidge, published in 1798. The University of Plymouth is curating artwork to go along with the readings and then having celebrities, everyone from movie and TV stars to musicians, read portions of The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And the reason why they chose this is they feel like it's a poem written about being in isolation, but that is somewhat uplifting and can give you hope for the future. So some of the people they ha have are uh, Jeremy Irons, Willem Dafoe, Tilda Swinton, uh, singers, um, Marianne Faithful, Iggy Pop, Beth Gibbons from Portishead, um, take their turns reading this. And then the uh, art curator at the museum associated with the University of Plymouth is also curated either some digital video or still photography or artwork to go along with each of the readings. So if you are interested in this all, please just Google or DuckDuckGo 
Ancient Mariner Big Read. Um, this is part of a Big Read series. Um, University of Plymouth also did a Moby Dick Big Read that involved um, Stephen Fry and other celebrities. So, but during COVID, they're they're doing a Ancient Mariner Big Read. Check it out. Cool. Dan, what are you doing? I just want to touch on the realm of the Ancient Mariner here. One incredible poem. Uh, I sang a metal version of it for a scavenger hunt, which I'll touch on in a minute. But I just want to, I don't want to protest, but I do want to dispute MJ's characterization of literally anything involving Jeremy Irons as uplifting. Uh, <laughs> just, just super questionable on that. Um, Wasn't he Scar in uh, the He Lions? was. He was Scar, and and his film career prior to that uh, is why he was Scar. Jer- Jeremy Irons, an unbelievable actor, phenomenal, uh, but dark, extremely dark. Like, like straight up, you could do a, uh, a joyful comedy that involved you know, the actors from uh, Spongebob and every beautiful, glorious cartoon you've ever seen and throw Jeremy Irons in it, my initial assumption would be, yeah, this is grimdark. Uh, he, is a, he is a powerful force in that sense. One could say the same thing about Willem Dafoe, Tilda Swinton, and Beth Gibbons. Yeah, actually, that's extremely true. They picked a bunch of people whose, uh, whose penchants are for dark, or at best, best extremely confusing. Which uh, would make them great dramatic readers. True. I mean, extremely true. Uh, so on a more uplifting note, uh, to get through the coronavirus, I've been watching enough Food Network to, uh, to kill most mortals. Um, I, I think at this point I've seen every episode of Guide's Grocery Games, <laughs> diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh, I have a hundred percent for sure seen every episode of uh, the Spring Baking Championship, and I think honestly, I think it was a worthy winner. I won't spoil it, but I think uh, I think the person who won it was a was a good winner. Are you, um, are you turning into a Guy Fieri truther? Uh, I I like I actually am, and I'll you know what you know what fuck it you you started this fight and I'll finish it. So Guy Fieri started on the scene in American food culture at about the same time that everyone was focused on uh, uh, Gordon Ramsay and the people who who were phenomenal chefs who knew how to execute food at the highest level, but were extremely dour and extremely down on any adventure outside of that, and so. If you look at the way the Guy Fieri does cuisine, it's joyful, it's fun, but it's not particularly over prosaic and it's not particularly serious. And so when he came on the scene, uh, Pete Wells, who's the New York Times food critic, who I I think is a phenomenal food critic, and, and people like him really were down on him because his own cuisine was not that good. But honestly, I've eaten at uh, three, three, as many as six, uh, places that were featured on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, the Guy Fieri show. And honestly, I've had six great meals. I've straight up loved everything he's done. I think, I think in a different era, Guy Fieri would have been seen closer to Anthony Bourdain because his sense of food is one of wonderment and of joy and of food bringing people together. 
and that is decidedly divorced from the world of cuisine where uh, all pastry must be French and all meat must be cooked to precisely 137 degrees. And so uh, this, is, this is truly a thing I see as my evolution in food criticism is that I no longer see Guy Fieri as a clown. I see him as a model. Uh, but God knows I've been in this house for six weeks and right. my mind might be entirely rotted. I'm sorry I, I, I sent you down that hole. Uh, <laughs> what else you got? Uh, we've also been gardening. God, we've been, we, we gardened a lot this week. Uh, my, my wife Gretchen and I built a fence that is designed to keep rabbits out. Uh, so we're growing, we're growing uh, cantaloupe, we're growing peas, we're growing tomatoes, we're growing mint and rosemary and basil. And I'm really excited for the summer where we can use, uh, use those things as food. So, uh, but uh, it was a lot of work this weekend. It turns out, and no one tells you this, burying fence posts is difficult and uh, burying rabbit-proof fencing is even more difficult. Yeah. Could have told you that. Um, Bill. Yeah, I should have asked. Yeah. Well, I want to continue the, uh, the topic of Jeremy Irons. And I want to argue that he is one of the most uplifting and humorous, uh, <laughs> actors because his portrayal of twin brothers Beverly and Elliot in the movie Dead Ringers as uh, gynecologists who operate with questionable uh, ancient gynecological <laughs> tools. Uh, has to be one of the most, uh, you know, fine movies ever created. David Cronenberg made that movie. Uh, I remember my ex and I going to that in the, late, in the late 80s and realizing at the end of the movie that we were the only ones still in the theater. <laughs> at the end. Uh, a David Cronenberg... Uh, Gynecological movie. <laughs> as twins is very, very... Yeah. Yeah, poor Genevieve Bougeau. <laughs> so I highly recommend that movie. Um, I think uh, it is uh, playing on uh, on uh, Amazon Prime right now if you want to see it. Um, so there yeah. you go. Um, outside of that, which I haven't watched since the late 80s, um, I... You know, I've been recovering from back surgery, and I've overdone it a few times, so I've been really laying low to try and uh, recoup. So I've, uh, I, I got my, uh, my porch kind of cleaned up and really set up to relax on, and I've been reading. And uh, I'm about halfway through rereading Fever Pitch by, uh, by Nick Hornby, um, which is, a, a, you know, a guy who just loves soccer, loves football. Um, he's an Arsenal fan, um, but it's about seeing matches. You know, the thing about, you know, a lot of people live in England is, yeah, they have their top division team, but most people have their their lower division team that they really follow. And, uh, and then, you know, when they can, they get to their top division team, the people who really love the sport. Um, so it's just about, you know, there's there's matches from like the 60s, all the way up through the nineties here that he just writes about each, you know, different matches that are, are a chapter and it's just a beautiful book. Um, and then to balance 
you know, that beautifulness out with uh, something horrible I'm reading. Uh, I'm rereading Alan Moore's um, From Hell, the graphic novel about Jack the Ripper, and uh, which is just written in this grotesque black and white, you know, illustrated in black and white. And it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing book. And, uh, and so I've been enjoying that. And uh, along with uh, those, uh, you know, our old friend Weed, which gets us through all yeah. of this. 100%. Gabe's I Know, sponsored by Weed. Yeah, weed. look, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, uh, no one offers me weed. Well, uh, you never come over. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking social distancing, Bill, isn't it? Well, How am I supposed to get to your house? Listen, I have a broken back. I get you guys beer. You could definitely go over to get over to Bill's house to get weed if you really, really want to. So. <laughs> I yeah. will. Let me let me throw this out there on Fever Pitch. Uh, Fever Pitch is one of the very first novels that I have ever read that made me feel not alone. Uh, yeah. it, is, it is truly. Uh, when I, so there's a section of Fever Pitch where he talks about uh, his, I think his parents were splitting up while he was at summer camp. And uh, he talks extensively about waiting for every letter, not to know what his parents were doing, but what to know Arsenal was doing. Um, my parents did not split up when I was at summer camp. Uh, this is not where that was going. But uh, my dad used to email me every day when I was at summer camp what the twins were doing. Wow. And uh, I was at Trout Lake Camp uh, on the edge of Whitefish Lake the day the twins traded Matt Lawton to the New York Yankees. And I walked around for the rest of that day like they had put down my dog. <laughs> and uh, so when I read that, when I read Nick Hornby's digestion of, of his experience vis-a-vis Arsenal at that, like, Oh my, in a heartbeat, I knew exactly what he was feeling. So that, that book is, is phenomenally well written. And if you have ever loved a sports team, especially if you have loved Arsenal, you will identify with that immediately. And I can't echo Bill's recommendation enough. That book is phenomenal. There's a writer that, a book also about football that's, that's very much the opposite of Fever Pitch called Among the Thugs, written no, by... No, no, no. We got to do a whole podcast on yeah, that. But Holy shit. I, I have two hours worth of thoughts on that sure, book. But that book is fucking I don't, don't want to talk about the book, but the author, Bill, Bill Buford, Bill Buford um, he used to be the, the editor of the Granta publication, which is a literary magazine, but he just put out a brand new book called Dirt that just came out last week. Oh and, my God, uh, thank he, you. His books are about cooking these days. And his last book was called Heat. And, uh, and it is an amazing book. If you haven't read one of his books, look him up. Um, he, he wrote Among the Thugs, Heat, and now Dirt. And he's a great author. I have literally no idea what either Heat or Dirt is about. I'm, I'm going to literally yeah. order them right now. Yeah, you'll Among love them. Among the Thugs is the straight up best book I have ever read, irrespective of yeah. any subject. That yeah. book is phenomenal. So maybe there we, we go. Dave's I Know Book Club. Um, I just want to also recommend, if you're not familiar with Alan Moore, and I'll have to check out From Hell, but two of his better known graphic novels were turned into movies. 
um, V for Vendetta and uh, Watchmen. Thank Watchmen, you. Yeah. Both are both not surprisingly the graphic novels are better than the movies. So if you like the movies, read the graphic novels. They're even better. If you didn't like the movies, try the graphic novels. They're way better. I say this is someone who adored the V for Vendetta movie. Uh, the movie is complete and utter trash compared to the novel. Yeah. yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, complete and utter trash, uh, Andy Schlecks has the cribs on Twitter. <laughs> I thought we killed us last there. week. Um, so fuck you. He misses us. Yeah. Um, Max is still awesome. You are complete and utter trash. So you are, you are the V for Vendetta of movies of Twitter of liking Dave's I know. So the right. Natalie Portman of V for Vendetta. You are the Natalie Portman of <laughs> Dave's I know Twitter, which is, I guess, I don't know. She's, Actually, a relatively accomplished actress. All right, the Natalie Portman of Star Wars of V for Vendetta. <laughs> the Hayden Christensen of Star Wars of V for Vendetta. <laughs> you, are the, you are the Hayden Christensen of, of uh, Dave's I Know Twitter. So congratulations. Come on, she was just as bad as him in that series. No, she did not get the same. <laughs> Disagree. Hard, hard disagree. All right, this brings us to the end. Uh, please rate review our podcast. Guys, um, I looked at our Stitcher. Uh, so we're on Stitcher. That's where I normally listen to the podcast or what I, I download it from. I don't actually listen to it. Um, there's one review on there, and it may or may not be from me. So um, rate and review our fucking podcast on wherever you listen to stupid podcasts. Uh, Patreon.com backslash the days I know. At TDIKMN on Twitter. You can find Bill at Bill underscore McGuire. MJ is at MJ Matsui. Dan's at D Wade. I'm at Texas Eller. Again, at TDIKMN on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, thanks for participating. Uh, we have other days, you know this. Land here become fecund Yeah uh, We, we yeah. do our thing son Through the act we attract two Hope to reach one uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing Do it Do it We do our thing son Some will paint a piece Some will spray with a machine gun It's mad work to be done We, uh, we, we do our thing son 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 Son